We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Ignition. Dude, have you thought about having, you should, you should so totally have a podcast. You're really good. Yeah, I, that's, that's good advice. You've got a great yeah. disposition for it. Yeah, is NCPA, I mean, I know you're a busy guy, and especially yeah. now since you're czar of the world, but I, you really, <laughs> really have a talent for it. I, I, mm-hmm. I think you would do a great job, and I think it would represent NCPA well. Yeah, yeah, well, see, I'd say I think you're buttering me up. But you guys have the edit privileges for all of this, so. Yeah. I, I'd say either a podcast or a psychiatry. I feel like I could lay on a couch and just open up to you. <laughs> I don't know. I think hey, that's. Look, I think that well, went too far. But I. Hey, I don't. Bromance, I don't give comments. I don't want to interfere with your bromance, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I. I think Doug having a, a podcast in representation, just NCPA alone. I mean, just how powerful that could be. I mean, one of our podcasts was used to help push a bill in North Carolina. Yeah, there was a senator in something in North Carolina who saw our podcast and actually sent us for advice on a bill mm-hmm. uh, with just pharmacy. Imagine if, if, Doug, you had your own podcast and you're talking to other independent pharmacies and their struggles in their state and just the, the change, the yeah. opportunity. I, it, to be honest and sincere you have a skill for this and and it really it's such a cool side of you that that a lot of us don't get to see because we get to see the suit and the and the 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 persona that we see at the trade shows and stuff i i really think it would do well for you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no you mentioned uh again i'm in, i'm supposed to be interviewing you guys but oh, so, sorry <laughs> since we're down this down this uh rabbit hole a bit you mentioned in the very first when you guys interviewed me back in october of last year that um and you seem very sincere i took it as very sincere that Wow, Doug, you know, we saw this whole side of you that we haven't seen. I'd really like for others to see this, this yep. side of you, which, you know, talk about having to go to a psychiatrist and get, get some support. <laughs> I'm like, so what side has Jeff been seeing the last five years? Business, business, business. Today? Business, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I thought that was just uh, just me, although, you know, you're drawing out stories about my fanny pack. But... um. <laughs> I love the fanny pack. So let's let's sober up here, folks. Let's um, sober up. I love the term community pharmacy, right? Pharmacy in the community, but but the big guys have stolen that from us, right? They're community pharmacy too, right? And so then we have this independent pharmacy. But that sounds I don't we don't want to be independent. We want to work together. So we need a new term. Like I, I uh, like entrepreneurial pharmacy or I, I wish we could come up with a new term that they couldn't steal to to represent what we're doing. Um but privately held, that's one that <laughs> privately been, held. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it doesn't roll off the tongue privately held. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say they've complete, I've, I don't give in to them stealing it because you push I mean, back. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I still, when I talk to whether, you know, people who've been in the industry or even people outside, they'll say, like talking to a legislator, he or she will talk about community pharmacies versus the chain stores. Mm-hmm. So and it's not, we, huh. we're so close to it that we hear the, you know, the big chains trying to pirate community pharmacies, pretend they're neighborhood stores. But, um, 
I don't know if the rest of the world has has made that transfer, uh, that transition yet. I still think community still says. So your advice is let's keep pushing. Let's keep pushing well, community no, as I'm independent. Open, I like no, that. I'm always open to something different or better. Um, yeah. I just wouldn't completely give up on community. I think, but if we could, you know, have something that better said, these are privately held small business owners, entrepreneurs, that if we could, you know, have a word that said that that was universal, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd mm -hmm. be all, all for it. But, but if, if, if two thoughts, maybe we're not labeling the change. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. They, they need a new name. Saying, the big, big box pharmacy is really, really uh, what it is. The, the second is, if, if I'm a patient, you maybe, maybe throw a thought on it. I'm not sure I care whether it's privately held. What I care about is the care that I'm going to get at that pharmacy. And, and how, how do we brand it that yeah. it really focuses on the, the, the difference right. in care? The that care that I'm getting at my, at my local neighborhood pharmacy. Yeah, the, the vision, the thing I think I would care about is that the person who owned that pharmacy lived in my community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that, that they, they live and they live here the person who, who owns it and, and decides how the money, the profits get spent. Um, yeah. I don't well, know. And I think, I think also to Craig's point that what the, the Witham equation, what's in it for me, which drives a lot of people's behavior yep. from yep. a consumer standpoint, the personal care versus I refer to chains a lot, a lot of times as the assembly line healthcare, that mm -hmm. if you want healthcare on an assembly line, where you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again, they actually do a decent job. I mean, McDonald's does a decent job, McDonald's does a great job pumping out hamburgers. They've got a great assembly line. Yeah, I like that. That's what we need to start referring to as CVS and Walgreens and in Walmart. That's we need to call the, them the McDonald's of healthcare. It's the yeah. it's the assembly line. How healthy is that? Yeah. Health, it's it's assembly line. It's not community. It's assembly line healthcare. It's not community yeah. pharmacy. It's not community pharmacy. And you know, there's there's some good people that worked at those places, some good pharmacists, but yet you know, they've got their hands tied with uh, a lot of things. But mm -hmm. one of the things in this program you're talking about with the $10 example, or it's not an example, it's a real example. So that's been tried before and for years, for years and years and years. But the missing ingredient where I think you guys are hitting on something is that it's in workflow. It's in workflow. Yep. And then also you have the e-care plan for the documentation. You've got that, um, well, talk about, is that simple? Because that's, the barriers have been, these programs lack of workflow. You got to get out of, out of workflow into another system. It's a pain in the backside. And then the documentation is a pain. Yep. So how's your system overcoming some of those barriers from the past? You know, one of our goals is that the e-care plan is an exchange format. If I have to think very much about an e-care plan as a pharmacist, I haven't done my job. Yeah. Right. You look at early implementations of uh, hospital and healthcare technology, and they just kind of computerized the forms. Right. And, and they didn't take advantage of the fact that this same data is on two, three different places, et cetera. And so we really try to make uh, even so that we got some pushback from clinical pharmacists in the in, in, in some of our implementations of like that wasn't hard enough. Right. I, I needed to. <laughs> where did I have to open up the e-care plan and, and edit it? Well, no, you just do your job. Right. You write in your comments about what you did with MedSync. You 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 put in your this kind of stuff and this kind of stuff. And that just happens. Right. 
Well, that and that kind of thing did happen. Um, CPSN actually called a pharmacy, and they're like, how are you submitting so many care plans? And they're like, we're just doing medicine. No, they were like, we didn't know we were submitting care plans. We didn't know we plans. were submitting care plans. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the kind of, you know, the care plan just needs to be a, a, a format of interchange of data. You know, what we need to do is just like that, uh, we talked about the, the, the form prints out that point of sale tells the pharmacist to review it with the patient. They review it with the patient. They click, yes, I did it. There's an e-care plan got created that said what happened, when it happened, who it happened with, that include that current, the patient's current meds, all that kind of stuff, and that they picked up that zero-fill script. Boom. And, um, you know, we're even doing some stuff where you can define the routing of that that can say this type of e-care plan this guy over here gets and this type of e-care plan this guy gets and this kind of e-care plan this kind of gets. And so um, a lot of the competitor technologies went with this concept of, well, I'm going to go build a care plan, right? And mm, yeah. rather than the system's going to build a care plan. I think there's a couple additional things that we're doing that, that make it different, right? So I told you we were investing in kind of the next generation claims engine. Well, why are we doing that? A uh, couple of reasons. One is that gives us an ability to target patient populations much more rapidly than we could if we had to rely on somebody else's switch to do that. And then you plug that in to the workflow and with Jeff's talking about on the e-care plans, I think really important. The other piece that um, Pioneer has really innovated on that you're gonna see move across the, to the QS1 base is then integrating that into the patient messaging as well. And I think that becomes super important as you start trying to drive adherence behavior to these different patient populations. Yeah. Sometimes the right solution is gonna be messaging, sometimes it isn't, but it's all gotta be driven back into workflow. And the pieces of the puzzle that we've been trying to integrate over the last last nine months are, are those four pieces. Those are great points. Uh, one, you know, Jeff, you mentioned that the pharmacist who said, hey, it's not enough. I, I didn't have to write it. It wasn't hard enough. Make it harder for me. I, I think that's a great point and really an opportunity for Red Cell, for NCPA to help reprogram some pharmacists, yep. pharmacist thinking, because we were trained in pharmacy mm -hmm. school that, you know, in order to be on the healthcare team, we we have to be overachievers. And so we have to write the, mag, you know, 13 pages of, of, of notes. Yep. Um, and I'm exaggerating with that, but you get the point. Whereas you see what a, a physician writes, he or she writes, you know, two sentences. And um, mm -hmm. so I think that's a, a reprogramming that some pharmacists need to have. And I think the technology by making it easy is a, is a big opportunity. So kudos for making that easy um, and making that billable because that's the next thing is, you know, if someone listening to this is gonna go, hey, this is all great, but if I'm not getting paid for it, I can't invest the time that it's gonna take yep. to even write two sentences. So I think the billing opportunity, what kind of billing opportunities uh, Craig, in your response on the, the computer talk interview, you mentioned talking to payers or states. Yeah. Just kind of what kind of uh, billing opportunities are you seeing? Well, I, I think ultimately the, the vision we have is um, our claims engine should ultimately be a pharmacy benefit and medical benefit claims engine. And that has to be tightly integrated into a billable e-care plan. And so that, that's the vision of that, that we're heading down. And as Jeff said, it, the e-care plan really just needs to be an exchange of data for that. And so 
the path we're heading down and it's going to take us a bit of time is to integrate those those two things with with pioneers e care plan and that becomes the billable solution and that should not be something that a pharmacist has to think about we, yeah. we should be automating that and we'll eventually get there that's going to take a little bit of time to be honest yeah and the early stuff we're seeing is around adherence Things like we're talking about where the pharmacist yep. goes over something uh, with the patient, uh, whether that be education, how to use a device or something like that. Um, now, a lot of and, and a lot of the innovations in billing of some of these are happening regional and they're happening with people like uh, and, and see, you know, we let CPS in is driving that, you know, so there's kind of a, a, a two direction thing going on there. And we're being an enabler for that. You know, if you look at um, the, the number one vaccinating CPS in pharmacies were Pioneer. You know, Pioneer, CPSN, pharmacies by far blew away everybody else on, on vaccinations. And, and anytime they're coming up with new programs, we're usually the first ones out of the gate to assist with those programs, get an e-care plan set up for that, make sure it gets distributed to the white person, follow through to make it simple. Um, but as we look at, at future programs, what, what do you think about future programs, Craig. You know, one of things we heard from CPSN is, is on a lot of those things, we want to work through them. You know, they want us to create the technology sure. to enable them not to do that instead of them. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with everything you're saying. And I, from a future perspective, I go back to what I just said. I, I think we've got to be enabling that through through the switch, frankly, on integrating the uh, an intelligent switch on the pharmacy and medical benefit side into the e-care plan is the way to go, in my opinion. And, and that's going to take a bit of innovation on our on our side. Can, can you guys talk about CPSN a little bit as far as, so I know Pioneer, QS1, Red Cell um, have been uh, great partners of CPSN. Yep. Uh, Jeff, yep. you mentioned some of those examples. Do you see that, you know, as, as Red Cell expands its portfolio, do you see that partnership continuing? Do you see a situation Absolutely. where it becomes competitive at some, some point or it continues to be complementary going forward? Yeah, I hope if it gets competitive, you call us out. So yeah, totally. yeah, we would absolutely. Yeah, no, we totally would. But but is that a bad thing? You know, if it's competitive and you're providing something better, um, you know, the CPSN, what it brings is its own. It's basically own. I mean, we own fifty percent, but it's basically owned by the pharmacists, right? Um, who do it? So. But um, anyway, yeah. You ahead. look at where we go out with programs. Like we we're talking about the program that the at, uh, we're talking about the grant program. We, we went. We're going at that for CPSN. You know where we're doing stuff. We're we're trying to work with them. We're trying to work with them regularly. You can see where people in the past have hit the easy button. Um, you know, I, I can think of another company that kind of had a wrapper around multiple pharmacy systems, and they kind of said did some things instead of CPSN. Just because sometimes it's hard to, you know, figuring out how it's, if you come back to that thing, technology is the way to pull people together. Um, with CPSN, though, that eCare plan really helps. And a lot of them, 40, almost 40 to 50% of CPSN people are on Pioneer X. So it's a natural place and, and it's a natural progression. We convert a lot of people from CPSN. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think we can do this without them. And with you, I don't think they can do it without us. I think that's right. Just, and so related note on the medical billing and workflow, and, and you, all of you have touched on this, but and I'm hearing more from our members about opportunities yep. to do medical billing and workflow. There's some, you know, as far as they as pharmacies getting credentialed and being eligible to get paid by insurance companies, that has to be 
worked through, mm-hmm. figured out, and there's definitely efforts to do that. But what are you guys seeing from, you know, you could see a day when the pharmacist in workflow in their normal dispensing system is able to bill for a clinical service to major medical yep. versus, you know, going through the PBM. We have to route things. Instead of routing through the PBM, we have we have to stop routing transactions through the PBMs because we know what the outcome will be if we continue to do that. Yep. How are your systems helping make that possible to bill for medical claims through workflow? And what's your vision for it? Where do you see it in two years? Well, the vision, my vision, and we'll hear what Craig's vision is, is to to have some type of switch slash e-care plan empowered piece. So where there can be a real-time adjudication followed by an e-care plan for the extra data that needs to go together to support the information for billing. Um, this is one of those areas we've been aggressively talking to different people, peeling back layers and figuring out how the things work and, and people saying, oh, yeah, hey, partner with us. We're a, we're a medical biller and then finding out they're really just using somebody else. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to get to that somebody else so that we can enable the, the, the power line switch to be able to, to work with independent pharmacy. There's some consolidation going on in that, in that industry right now. There's some weirdness going on with, with change healthcare being bought by Optum, um, uh, with FDS going to uh, OmniCell. That is right. FDS went to OmniCell. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so some of that stuff's in play and moving around. But if you look, we probably have something going on once a week where we're talking to somebody different trying to figure out. And we have solutions, integrated switch solutions uh, with Change Healthcare and, and, and with several different players like that today where they can bill. But the goal is to be able to make that as simple as um, a claim adjudication is today even requiring that extra data. And some of that's in flux. You know, CPSN has had some success in getting people to say, hey, we're not going to do it the normal medical billing way. We want to do it this way. You know, the normal medical billing method is everybody, you know this, every provider is, for, for those in the viewership who don't know, every provider, individual provider is credentialed. It makes more sense in the pharmacy world that the pharmacy is credentialed. Um, and, and so what it actually is, Four or five years from now, we're not sure, but we think that the switch plays a major role, and um, we're working diligently toward that. Yeah, and you mentioned the power line switch, and um, I was just talking to um, our general counsel because we were talking about switches and some of the some of the uh, things that you just mentioned, um, uh, some of the proposed uh, acquisition of uh, of change, and. Um, I was just thinking how how the importance of switches has grown yep. uh, over the last I don't know even even recently, but you know you I was thinking of a switch is just you know kind of the the traffic cop for those pharmacy claims, but now the data from the switch can be can predict uh, short of medical claims data can predict risk for an insurance company yep. um, among other things so it's got a lot of value. Can you talk about how power line or the switch in red sale, some of your, your plans for it and how it's, um, how, and, and just maybe just how switches have evolved over the last, I don't know, 24, yeah, so, 36 months. Yes. Well, so the, the, the market has evolved much more rapidly than the technology has evolved around the switch. And so, so our, our view of, of power line is, as I mentioned, it, we haven't commercialized uh, or publicly commercialized what it characterizes as Powerline Gen 2. We're piloting that 
with within some pioneer sites right now. And, and we we did that because we think the intelligence of the of the claims engine, i.e. the switch with newer technology can be much more effective for pharmacies and, and for lack of a better word, the, the ecosystem. So yep. our view is that we're, we're aggressively investing in it. And you'll see over the next six months us coming to market within our base, uh, within the, the red cell base, what I'd characterize as, as a smart switch. Um, and I think over time, I link it back to Jeff's Jeff's comment on, on med billing. Over time, that either integrates or becomes its own pharmacy and medical smart medical benefit switch um, for red cell customers. And it's a lot easier for us to fully integrate that into the e-care plan, which we think becomes some, frankly, really important over time. So it's an area that we're actively investing in, not only because we think that our customers will benefit from it, and we think the technology hasn't really been invested in uh, yep. as much as it could be over the last uh, 20 years uh, or so. But the market's really, really changing. I think demanding, the, particularly for the, the independent pharmacy, we're going to have to make sure we've got a solution that isn't owned ultimately by the large payers or 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 uh, or other large players in the market for the independents. Yeah, when we um, switching isn't super expensive. Um, you know, as far as on a wholesale level, um, and, and is when we went into this purchase with red cell, you know, one of the things that we were like, are we going to do this or not? Are we going to have a switch? Um, it's going to be, it needs to be rewritten. There's a, there's some opportunity there, but is this really just, are we selling water? Do you really want to be in the business of selling water? There's a lot of people selling water. What's going to be new about our water? Um, and I was even real skeptical, you know, Craig came in pumped up about that when they were looking at buying us. Oh, this is a big opportunity. Okay. And and I, I was skeptical. But then with the change optum thing and people started coming out of the woodwork saying, that, that Hey, I, I don't want them having yeah, yeah, I don't want them having my data. Hey, what about this power line thing? Then we said, Hey, we may have to build an independent pharmacy switch. Something that protects that the data is gonna be just as important as these other things we try to do with technology and we're gonna need to hide this. Uh, and uh, Powerline today, and then I learned, you know, Powerline switches 96% directly to PBMs. So bypassing, you know, where that data would go to um, end up in Optum. And, and, and I think we're, you're going to see a time where you're going to have some pe- some players, uh, whether that be Troy or somebody like that, who are going to choose to not want to be connected to those networks you know, that they're going to connect us. So, so it's one of those two things that led to some opportunity, but it also led to think some kind of duty where it was something needed to be done. EHR vendors. So we're talking about medical billing and EHR vendors, just EHR systems. And, and maybe every pharmacy owner, maybe every viewer knows what an EHR is and what it does and why how it affects them but but let's assume that they don't could you know marcia jeff craig could what if you just base what's the basics what is an ehr and why should pharmacy care or should pharmacy care craig you probably have the more ehr experience i think um, jeff's done a lot of the talking craig i think craig should answer this one yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm good. I, I will, and I want to link it back, Jeff, to your vision of eCare plan because I think it becomes super important. Um, so your electronic health record, in, in its uh, simplest form, uh, it's the system that most most providers use to document their clinical management of your of your care, and and then when a when a 
patients in a pharmacy, you would love in a dream world, when they're in a pharmacy or that patient's in uh, with a provider, the record of their care, whether it be in the pharmacy or at their provider's office to be ubiquitously available. And, and to date, that becomes a challenge because uh, all of the EHRs, if you're in the health system world, if you're uh, the primary ones being Epic and Cerner, or if you're in the long-term care setting, there's, you know, hundreds ultimately that you've got to integrate with. It becomes a real challenge for, uh, for pharmacies and uh, pharmacy management systems to integrate uh, in back into those systems. And in the long-term care setting, what, what we've done is we directly integrate with them. And pharma's in the retail setting right now, it's the, the primary endpoint is, is with Shorescripts for the most part right now. And I think, uh, as, as Jeff will highlight, the, the real vision is the e-care plan should, should be, from a pharmacy perspective, what is ubiquitously integrated into uh, EHRs ultimately. But there's a lot of industry work that needs to be done to enable that before, before that becomes truth. Um, yeah. And the groundwork that, that Jeff and Pioneer have been doing, I think, are the kind of the Gen 1 of that concept. And there's a lot of ways that that can go horribly bad. Uh, yeah. We were talking to a, an EHR uh, about doing a hospital system, about doing some integration. And they were like, the doctors are just really afraid of having all this data in there to go through. Right. Uh, a, a good example of something that came up just recently that, that we got to get on top of is SureScripts, um, the eScript standard. Uh, some doctor system has started adding allergies to the eScript. Well, most systems don't just sit those allergies out. So now as a pharmacist, I have to drill in and find the allergies. I got to somehow, today, that's in a different area of the system that lists the allergies than when I'm data entering from an eScript and see if the allergies are right that I have that the doctor had. Okay. And now... So, so now I've got this, hey, anytime I get a new script, I need to drill in and find if the doctor happened to put allergies there. A lot of times they're not there. See if they're there. Uh, the, the nomenclatures aren't always the same. One might be FDB allergies. One might be Metaspan. One might be uh, some kind of national standard. The doctors are different. If I have two and they have three, are they right or I am? And so now you can imagine if I didn't look that up and check that every time and some patient has a problem, um, and maybe the problem's something totally different, but it looks like, well, the doctor had two and you had three. Did you do anything about it? Your show sloppy workmanship. And so, and so there's a, there's a piece we're gonna have to do very, very fast as this information starts becoming ubiquitous in not just killing our healthcare professionals with this. I've got to look at so many different things and compare them. We're going to have to do it with technology to compare that data. And we think of a good opportunity for the pharmacist to try to be the central person to try to have technology that consolidates that information for the prescriber. So the prescriber doesn't have to look at data coming from 40 different places. But it's a huge, this could be a huge problem if done poorly. And historically in healthcare, we do it poorly first, right? Before we do it right. Yeah, no, there's a lot of track record of that. So the standardization of these allergy codes, that's that's a great point. That's one I'll definitely take note of. Um, it, it, it feeds into, so I got a letter from, a letter was forwarded to me from one of our members from a health system, uh, from, from his local hospital. And it was clearly written by an EHR vendor. And the letter said, hey, pharmacy owner, we want you to give us your data because it's the right thing to do. And so we want you to give us permission to 
to have access to your data. Um, it's it was an EHR vendor that I was um, had a connection to, so I, I forwarded the letter to them and said, uh, "What? How can we make this bi-directional? So that's great, right. I suppose yep. that you want the pharmacy's data, but will the pharmacy have the um, the medical data?" And I haven't gotten a reply yet. How long ago was that? Too long as okay, far as five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. the common thing that we see with any type of integration partner that we begin to work with is it's it they want to have a one-way conversation. They're not willing to to share. They're like, give us your inform, you know, share with us. And then it's like, okay, well, can we have this too? And there a lot of them have come back and like, no. So Doug, this is where um this this scale match with technology, I think, starts to become important for Red Sale. So that that individual independent pharmacy having that conversation with with the HR vendor is going to have a really difficult time. If Red Sale is working with you uh, and NCPA as an example, and we we have a technology standard that we could offer uh, to the market, and we're able to say with these ten thousand pharmacies, we're happy to do this with you, uh, Mr. HR vendor. Um, we're happy to, but it's going to be bi-directional. Right. It's got to be reciprocal. Um, or we're going to do it with some other EHR vendor. Um, the conversation has a bit of a different uh, opportunity for the independent market. And I, I think that's kind of, if you go back to Jeff's, Jeff's theme of, you know, uh, independent pharmacy's dead, long live independent pharmacy. And you've got to figure out how to act a little bit more like a network at times if you're going to influence some of these larger uh, market players. I think this is a really good example of one. And, and how to make it easy to work with independents. Again, yeah. that's, a, that's a running yeah. theme that, hey, we may have to give up a little bit of our independence to gain greater right. authority and influence. And yeah. then an example of that is um, SureScripts had as a med history data feed. And um, its uh, primary purpose is ambulatory setting that uh, patient shows up, maybe they're unconscious, whatever the doctor has access to that, what that patient's actually picked up, not what was prescribed, but what they're actually getting. Um, you have pharmacists who don't want them to have the data and our position pioneer, if you don't want to do that, you're not, on, don't be on pioneer, right? We're not going to be the pharmacy system where the data is, I know you're afraid of people getting your data, but we're not going to be the pharmacy system where that data is not available in an ambulatory situation. Um, you know, the U.S. government is the payer of half of public health in the country. At some point, we're going to realize, have to realize that that data is not ours. That data is public health data. Now, you don't want – there is some data that's yours that shouldn't be out there, what you paid for your drugs and, 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 and wholesale information like that. But the, the, but the patient, more and more, we're going to have to push that that's public data. And it ought to go both ways, right? The pharmacist ought to get that data just as much as the – health system ought to get the data. Well, and the government's pushing. So not just the current, I mean, so whichever party someone is affiliated with, it was the previous administration and the current administration are both pushing, preventing information blocking. Yep. So requiring uh, healthcare companies, health systems to provide a lot more information to consumers than, than what's been available before. But, but to that the response that you sometimes hear from pharmacy, and I've definitely heard that throughout my career from pharmacies that say, no, I don't, I'm not going to give up my data. One of the reasons is because they feel like everyone's making money off their data, you know, and, and 
you're right that it may not be that pharmacy's data, but some of it is. And as we've looked at it and actually done some pretty good investigation, depending on which data, at what part in the flow of data, different people own it. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's the pharmacy and sometimes it's 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 not. But but the the pushback that we hear from our members on on data is that someone's making money off our data. Um, how do you guys answer that? Because I'm sure you've heard that. I guarantee you've heard it. So what would you say to an independent who says, I'm not going to give up my data because it's valuable and I'm not I'm not getting any of the value from it? Yeah, I hope you. Well, well, the first thing is that there may have been money and data a long time ago. There's not money and data today, at least not on an individual pharmacy basis. You know, if you could find a place to market your data, you might make $10 a month. I mean, there's not a, you know, the, the big value of your data is the value to public health and the value to that patient's, you know, safety. And, and there are people making money on data out there, but they're, they're, they're providing intellectual property to it. They're, they're analyzing it and data warehousing it. And they're, they're, you know, the people like the IMSs of the world and Acuvia where they're analyzing market trends and they're doing statistics. You know, other people have tried to com- compete with Acuvia. There's other companies that do that. Um, but Acuvia does it really well. You know, they do a really good job of how the statisticians work and provide and, and, and help estimate markets and pharmacy and, and things like that. So, so I think that's a thing they're going to have to, you know, there's always that fear that somebody's making money on, on something that it's mine, but I, the public health data, the, the pres- what prescriptions the patient's on, whether or not they put them up, it's not their data. It's, it's public health's data. I'll, I'll be a little bit more blunt. If, if, if you're that hypothetical independent pharmacist and that's going to be your view on data, you're not going to be an independent pharmacist very long. That's right. what or, I was about to say. At least not a like... profitable one. Can we run a business making money on making a living on, on the data you've got to provide at IQVIA? You don't have a very good technology business very, very long. That's that's where you make your money. Now, where we can make our money with pharmacy data is by taking that data and trying to use it to create these clinical adherence programs, which generates revenue for pharmacy. And sure, we'll make some money on that too. I hope everybody wants us to, because that's how we're going to invest in the innovation to improve adherence. But the real money to be made on data is by using it to create really differentiated clinical or financial services with it that the pharmacies definitely benefit from. Mm-hmm. And if you do it right, they benefit a lot more. If you use the Spariva example uh, that, that Jeff did, those pharmacies in, in, in the pilot, yes, we needed to have access to their data to be able to implement those solutions into the workflow. And as a result, their revenue went up measurably. And and you forego that if you want to be that mm-hmm. that conservative on the data side the scene i don't want is the doctor's office patient walks in the doctor has this computer in here oh let's look up how you've been taking your medication oh your information is not in here yeah you must go to an independent pharmacy Mm-hmm. i don't have that i don't have the information about you that i need right maybe we should try somewhere else can't happen it's, right? it's pharmacists like Amina that are already interrupting that and having the conversation because they, they won't we they won't share data with us. They want us to share data. But I mean, it's pharmacists like Amina who are already in there going, Here, here's what I've done with your patient. Here's the data. 
they're taking their meds or they're not taking their meds. Let's help this patient. And we need to get more pharmacists out there like Amina, like Joe Moose, that are willing to walk into a doctor's office with that patient's data. I mean, even more so, we need to get an EHR that's willing to, you know, have a mutual conversation and share data yeah, that right. they're with us that they're you willing know, to ask yeah, for. I think your analogy, your example was the the absolute right right picture to to paint. And you know, when we when we became Red Sale, and I, you know, learn, learning the businesses, and Jeff kind of gave me his view on med history. Frankly, we're implementing that on the QS one side now. If, if I, I, I viewed it to almost be an ethical decision, right? So there's a lot of pharmacists, I'm sure, on the QS1 side, they're going to say, Craig, we don't like the position you're taking on med history. And I analyzed it, looked at what Jeff's doing. What Jeff's doing in Pioneer is the right way and the right position to take. And so if you're a QS1 customer, we want you as a customer, but you're going to have to agree to the med history side. Yeah, same thing happened with us. You know, when, when Pioneer went to Acuvia and said, please take our data. We can't sign up any specialty pharmacies. You won't take our data. You know what they were willing to pay us for the data? Not run red cent. But we set up a data program with Acuvia, and we really, to opt out of Acuvia is really, really hard in Pioneer because the same way. You're like independent pharmacy. You're like, I want to get this specialty drugs, and I want to get this limited drug, and I want to get this drug. Yeah? You want pharmacy? You want pharma up there going, Oh, wow, we have this blackout of data over here in this part of the country. Oh, there must be a lot of independence there. Can't have it, right? You, you want what you want, but you, but you can't. You got to think through the process and say, pharma needs the data. So it's an interesting point because it's something I hadn't thought about before. But what I'm kind of the analogy I'd say that, that I'm hearing, it would be like uh, take, take gasoline. You know, so you, that comes from crude. You have crude oil. Uh, but it has to be processed. It has to be refined right. mm-hmm. to get it into a usable product. So I guess the analogy I'm hearing you guys say is that the data, that's the raw data is like crude oil. You can't have gasoline without it. Right. But until it's processed and refined, its value is very minimal. Yep. Great is example. That, that's a great analogy. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that actually helps me. That's um, Wonderfully said. That helped. Well, thank you. But that's uh, that helps me. So let's talk about that's why you're Zara Pharmacy. That's Overlord. Um, Overlord. Sure. Sorry. I mean, some even say God, but that's probably a little, <laughs> probably a little overboard. Um, let's talk about um, cash pricing. And and so Jeff, you a few months ago, I was responding to a reporter uh, talking about some cash pricing systems out there, um, discount cards. And you had nifty little tool you were able to share um, that provided some analytics on on cash price. And it, not surprisingly, put independent pharmacies in a very good light for the response I needed to give to this reporter. Um, So I was glad to to get that. So thank you for that. But can you talk about this tool that you have, what it is, how it works, plans for it? Yeah. So one of the things we do is is, is we analyze having... 10,000 pharmacies, we analyze all the claims that come through cash and third party. So we can look and see what's the real price independent pharmacies charging. Uh, we also do, using our call center, we do some competitive analysis of what different uh, different cash programs are out there. Um, you know, we call different stores. We do some of that legwork for the pharmacy where you have that in the system. You can see what what maybe uh, this cash program is or, or this discount program at a big chain. 
let them use it. And, and in Pioneer, they can actually price against it. So they can say, I want to be Walmart plus two, or I want to be um, Walgreens minus three, or et cetera. And they can actually plug that into the system, and that can actually drive their their pricing. Um, you know, you, you came to me and talked about the board. It talked about, you know, maybe, a, you know, some type of pharmacy-friendly you know, cash, and we don't charge anything for our our cash program that we do with the with the Pioneer pharmacies. Um, the discount card, the discount card, and maybe even some transparency, like through the Pharmacy Finder. You know, imagine in the in the Arx local Pharmacy Finder, you could look up a an area and a drug, and it show you what the prices for independent pharmacy is there. Now, the downside is that I, Marsha and I, probe that with some pharmacies, and their first answer is, "Now my pharmacy system is going to screw me too." Mm-hmm. Um, not very well received. Wasn't very well received just because that, but it is something to think about there. You're starting to see models of price transparency in, uh, we have a guy next week that, um, he's got full trice up. Uh, his prices are posted on the website. He does a membership program. So here's the membership price. Here's the non-membership price. That's what he does. He promotes it to doctors and ACOs and things like that. And he's super transparent. And I, I think the, one of those things that we're eventually going to have to give up is, and, and and is going to be price, you know, have pricing transparency and be able to sell if we're, you know, a buck or two more here, because you're in and out in in two minutes. Um, you know, I don't think consumers are are, are sensitive in a couple of dollars, but uh, it's interesting. I, I'd be one of the things, and I don't know, we're running out of time, but it's one of those things I want to talk to you next time I see is what, what how you've progressed in your thinking since then, and and what the board said, and what feedback you've gotten. But we got a lot of negative, really, really probably kind of about like me on that call I was on a lot of emotional uh response yeah yeah discount cards are not popular at all um on the other hand unfortunately well because of the high deductible plans because insurance plans no longer mean you're going to get the lowest price there's a big we're seeing a big consumer movement towards discount cards and um we're concerned that if our guys aren't participating in some way, they're going to be left out. Right. Um, kind of like that black box, that black hole you were talking about. Oh, there's no independent pharmacy here, so we're just going to ignore them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the concern. So Yeah, I don't know um, that we need a cash card. What we need is transparent, publicized pricing right. that's searchable and the marketing behind it that drives them to that. Now, now the problem is the cost of that marketing. You know, you get the big guy out there spends millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on marketing, and a portion of their fees pay for the marketing. But hopefully we can figure out something better, and, and I'm still hopeful that we can. Yeah, yeah, I would be too. And I mentioned I'd bring back, I'd bring up the uh, private equity and, um, and Francisco Partners. And as we talked about the last podcast, Francisco Partners is, uh, purchase red sale. Uh, speaking of discount cards, they also have a major stake in GoodRx. Uh, they were a major that's investor. That, that, that's that's ending oh, very rapidly. Okay, that's good. I did not know that. Um, so that's good to well, know. GoodRx good good has gone public. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that figures. Francisco Partners continuing to draw down their their position. In it. Good call out. Very good call out, Craig. Um, and Thank they you. were also major investors in in Cover My Meds. Wasn't trying to paint Francisco Partners as as bad or good, um, they're private equity. They're private equity, they're, they're built to make money for their investors. And, and we talked about that in the last um, call, you know, uh, the last po- meeting of, uh, so private equity is gonna, gonna flip the company at some point. 
Um, that's just that's that's going to happen. Uh, where what what are your current thoughts? You shared some thoughts um, on the last uh, podcast about that. What are your current thoughts as far as you know someone who says, "Hey, I love everything that Pioneer, QS1, Red Sail that they're doing, but I'm concerned that they're just going to sell you know sell the company to some big bad ugly." Um, competitor what would your response be to to that to that uh, concern first of all you, you have that concern regardless of who owns these companies right so if if pioneer were public would you, would you have that concern you should because the average mid-market public company is public for about seven years and then they get bought mm. if if they were privately owned like pioneer was they get bought <laughs> you know good companies attract good investors and I, I think the my, my honest personal view of this, before I started working with private equity firms and now, just like um, I think Pioneer's by far the best pharmacy management system in, in the market and in the country today, if you were a customer and had a bad experience with one pharmacy management system, did you say all pharmacy management systems stink? <laughs> no, you say this one did. And so my, my view on that is shareholders come and go, whether you're a public company, you have public shareholders, or private shareholders, what's most important is are those shareholders aligned with the strategy that you have and are they willing to support it? And the only thing I can tell people is with 100% certainty, someday Red Sail will either become a public company or take itself private, which happens as well, or it will be sold to somebody else with 100% certainty. But Francisco Partners is a particular type of private equity firm that believes they create more value through investment than through taking investment away. And so if you like the fact that Pioneer is able to invest more than any other company in the country by, by a magnitude of four to five right mm -hmm. now to continue to innovate, if you like that, then you should love the particular shareholder <laughs> that, that we have right now, because that's how we're running the business. And so I don't spend a lot of my time, I honestly don't spend a lot of my time worrying about who our shareholder is. Shareholders come and go. I worry about the employees that we have, the customers that we have in our strategy. And I, I can't I can't try to oversell that, I guess is my, my yeah. honest answer. And, and, and one of the things Francisco Partners always, and, and Craig, and, and we, we have these discussions, and, and not really thinking about selling, you, you know, you want to yeah. run the business like you're going to run the business for 20 years, yeah. um, is that Francisco partners, especially Craig, and this isn't just, this is a Craig thing as well. This is Craig thing as much as more as amplified, even more so than Francisco partners really believes in selling well. And, and, and when you do that, you have a better chance when Francisco partners goes to buy the next guy that's, um, that's from a, from an owner who created it, whose heart's in it, you know, like the Dixons was, who wants it to go to some place where it's going to do the best. It matters. It matters what happens now. It matters what yeah. happens when you sell. Right. And so you have to sell well. And sell well means the right thing for the market, for the employee, and and for the for the owner. So I, I can't tell you that, that you know the things. It, it's possible. It, it goes. You know, we're doing IPO ready, readiness as a possibility for a public company. I'd like to think if we did a public company, we could do it differently than the next guy can. Uh, public companies can raise capital better sometimes than, than non-public. You know, Craig will tell you he's not going to run a public company. I'm going to have to. But uh, 
That's very true. <laughs> but uh, you spend far less of your time running the company when it's public. But mm-hmm. I, I can tell you, there's a dramatic difference between private equity companies, and certainly a dramatic difference in in, in the ones. And and great example, just like um, our business sell, our, our uh, the people who own this building uh, are selling it to a new owner uh, today. And um, the existing owner's strategy was a cash cow plan, right? You buy a property, you invest in as little things you can, and the elevators are always broken. You know, that's just their strategy. And that strategy's hit the end of its life, and they're selling to a person who's going to come in and invest $50 million. Their strategy is to create the premier pop- property in Irving. And, and that's a different strategy. Um, so to say that all owners of commercial buildings are bad, right? Yeah. Because of the one we had and the 80 degree temperatures we've had because they haven't invested in the air conditioning system and stuff like that oh, is gosh, wrong. Yeah. You know, you have to look at the, you have to look at the owner and we're super excited about the guy who's coming in. He's going to build us an indoor outdoor restaurant. He's going to move the, the workout facility from the basement where it smells like basement up to the first floor. Um, so and, and, in, and in full disclosure, it's part of the reason why we, why we do these podcasts with you. So mm-hmm. I, I, we're not naive to the fact that there's there's folks out there that have a bad view of private equity. Yeah, and there are oh, people yeah. who are stopped who would have bought Pioneer this year who didn't because they're right. taking a wait and see. Um, Best thing we can do is continue to innovate in the market and be as transparent as we possibly can with how we're running the business. And just and, prove them wrong. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. I've got just one question. I've, I've been... Uh-oh. Okay, I'm afraid they, now. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's a, it's a, I, it's a quote you gave in the last. It is for Jeff. Okay, and you said uh, it's something I liked in the last podcast. You said I don't need an alarm clock. My goals wake me up. You were talking about how excited you were yep. with the mm-hmm. new resources, but you know, no alarm clock. Your goals wake you up. What woke you up this morning? What woke me up? Well, to be honestly, I was ex- what woke me up this morning was be excited about talking to you. This and podcast, no bragging, so. whatever. I just so. I haven't seen you in a while. I mean. I'm always excited, uh, especially after our last podcast. So I'm going to add to that, that, you know, you say that Jeff uh, carries a certain energy. Uh, one of the number one questions that I get asked about you when you're not around is, how much coffee does he drink in the morning? And I'm like, he doesn't. He does not. He just, he just, he's passionate about what he does. He has, and he brings that energy into the office. And I mean, like, like Craig experienced on a call last week, sometimes that passion gets him in trouble and he has a hard time biting his tongue. But I mean, I've worked for him for so long. I couldn't imagine just, there's things that he's inspired me that I've gone next level on that I never imagined I could ever do. And it's just, it's an amazing energy that he brings to the company and, um, I've also seen it in Craig, um, in the little doses I've gotten here and there. Um, but it's, we love what we do and it's, I don't know how, how better to, to say it. You know, I, we wake up and it's like, I have, this, I mean, there's times I call Jeff on the way in. I'm like, I have this idea and we start wa- working through it and he's like, all right, I got to go. It's Craig time. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was this morning. <laughs> But, you know, there's, yeah. I couldn't imagine in the other places that I've, I've worked in industry wise, just having never had the passion that I have 
with healthcare in what I'm doing. Yeah. And there's that, that risk, you know, independent pharmacy is a risk. It's either going to succeed or not succeed because of us. And that thing that gets me excited this week is really thinking about that, bringing them together through technology and, and how, and how do we do that? How do we, what are the components of that? How, how do we have it? How do we talk to them? You know, a way to, um, we're working on some technology is kind of, well, you tell you the name, it's called Convo that, uh, we're going to offer to the industry Teaser. for free, um, to help bring everybody together in a, in a communication, right? Cause one of the things that I thought from the last time that you talked, um, in our innovation meeting was, Hey, to bring them together, we got to have a common way to find them and we got to have a common way to talk to them. Right. And email is not the way. Uh, so, so, th- um, so those are the things I'm excited about. I mean, the number I'll one end game is the, the number one end game is is how do we save patients' lives? Yep. And how does independent pharmacy do that better than the next guy? Because without independent pharmacies, Red Sale doesn't really have a company, does That's it? That's absolutely correct. Without a healthy, the value for the investors of Red Cell is dependent on the health of independent pharmacy. Absolutely. Yeah. And right. independent pharmacy's dead. Long live independent pharmacy. So the whole point of this podcast was for you to hold us accountable for all the things that Jeff and Craig said back in December. So you've already given us a kudos. So what would be our grade over the, for the last nine months? So the grade from me doesn't matter. The grade from your customers <laughs> That's is what matters. Answer. You're the god <laughs> of pharmacy. <laughs> You're the... So I did, um, as part of, I did do some homework. I didn't do a survey, but I did, oh. obviously, before this podcast. How's it going to people using... Uh, Pioneer and the QS1 systems. And um, I would have started out with complaints if they, if I'd heard them, believe me, I would have, but I didn't, I heard good things. I heard positive things. I didn't hear, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd give you a grade just cause I'm a tough grader. I'd give you a, a B plus. Um, so, but you know, look, that's not a final grade. So subject yeah. to change, but uh, no, I, I the, the folks I asked, the folks I talked to said, you know, so far so good. They like the investment. They were telling uh, me that they have not seen any yeah. um, deterioration in the Pioneer performance, which was already high. They, um, that QS1, they've seen some um, enhancements to that system. Um, they probably less focused on some of the medical feelings, to me, more the future, the vision. Um, but as far as the blocking and tackling of a pharmacy management system, uh, again, I think the enhancements on QS1 is probably the, the, the major thing that stood out. And, the, you know, other investors, private equity have come in to other companies and they saw deterioration of the product. They saw lack of attention to the platform. They saw key personnel uh, departures mm-hmm. and none of that's happened so far. And hopefully it won't happen. So, um, you know, if you guys want to keep on having these and have these accountability partners, absolutely, part of your bromance parties, yeah, you know, no, let me know. Yeah, I think, did. and I think you should do a podcast and hold other people accountable. But it was good. Yeah, not not everyone is as open to uh, kind of yeah, putting that's it out true. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. But um, hmm. but yeah. So the podcast thing, um, you know. Maybe maybe you'll see something like that in the future. Teaser, teaser. Teaser, yeah. <laughs> nice. Marsha, you're you're trying to close us out here, man. If we, can play, if we can play a part, Doug, we'd love to in that. So, so, so is that an opening for us to do this again in three months, six months? 
Let's do it in three. I think it went do too it long this time. Yeah. It's too long. Yeah. Okay. Nine was for sure too long. Are, are you good? Well, I mean, it, it was going to be six, but we had some technical difficulties. But um, so three months, Craig, Doug, you in? I'd say if the viewers uh, are interested, I'm game. All right. All right. Good I'll, answer. I'll get you the statistics. Bye, guys. It's all about the Bye. members. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Take care, Doug. All right. Bye. See you guys. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.